Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle and welcome to my review of Antlers, the latest creature feature horror film which is hitting theaters here domestically in the United States and Canada this weekend. This is an audio exclusive review, so this is only for those of you who are subscribed here on the Dan Merle podcast channel. Welcome. Uh, these are going to be things that I do from time to time. There was a review for The Last Duel that came out uh, just a couple weeks ago. This one is going to be packaged with my review for Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, so if you haven't watched that review on YouTube yet, you can also stay tuned to hear the audio for that review right after this. However, before we get to that, let's talk about Antlers, which is from director Scott Cooper, whose last film was 2017's Hostiles, and who directed Jeff Bridges to an Academy Award in 2009's Crazy Heart. Cooper also shares screenplay credit on the film, but the names you've probably heard are the ones on the producing side, namely David S. Goyer and Guillermo del Toro. And it's quite easy to see why del Toro in particular was keen to produce this movie, especially as we get to the third act. Antlers takes place in a small Oregon town facing a rash of mysterious deaths. At the same time, a young boy named Lucas is hiding a secret from everyone in town, including his concerned teacher, Ms. Meadows, who's played by Carrie Russell. As the body count rises, it seems that the two mysteries may be linked, especially when a strange beast is sighted in the woods around town. The supporting cast includes Jesse Plemons as Paul Meadows, the town sheriff, Amy Madigan as the elementary school principal, and Graham Greene as Warren Stokes, the town's former sheriff, who may hold clues to unlocking what's going on. I'm recording this late Thursday night before audience reaction and cinema scores come in for this movie, but my guess is that Antlers is going to be divisive amongst the horror crowd, particularly those who may be showing up to see your typical creature feature. The horror crowd is very interesting. You have those who are hardcore fans of the genre, and then you have those that just kind of show up for a good time at the movies on a Friday night. And it's the latter group that I think may not have a whole lot of patience for Antlers because this movie is a slow burn. It saves most of its terror for the third act. I think that it's worth the wait, but I think that a lot of people aren't going to have that patience with the film. And it's really a shame because the first two acts of this movie are also full of the kind of allegories and metaphor that the strongest horror films often also have. Inside of this mystery about an antlered terror, the film touches on themes of abuse, the environment, repressed trauma, and the erasure of indigenous myths and legend. And I wish the film had focused a little more on one or two of them to add even more heft. The concept of indigenous populations, for example, and the erasure of their culture is one that is crucial to the film's plot. I just wish there had been some indigenous characters who were just as crucial. Graham Greene is on hand to provide exposition and gravely warn the new town sheriff what he might be dealing with, and Graham Greene is great as always, but in a movie that partially deals with the erasure of indigenous culture, the sole indigenous character is pushed to the background. It's not a fatal flaw, but it is one that I think is worth noting. A slow burn movie is fine if the bang at the end works, and I think that the ending of Antlers works. Once the creature is fully revealed, the last 20 to 25 minutes of the movie are a non-stop ride, and this is where I think it differs from a lot of other horror films. Modern horror audiences largely have gotten accustomed to films that take them on an up and down ride every 10 minutes, punctuated by a jump scare. So you have big scare scenes interspersed throughout the film. Here, the roller coaster creaks up the track for over an hour before plunging into the hellscape that's been unleashed on this town. It's the same structure that movies like 
John Carpenter's original Halloween back in 1978 have used effectively, and I really think it's a shame that many audiences probably won't have the patience for it. There are some great gore gags in this movie that I think toe the line between a terrific ugh factor and being so over the top that it's comical. This is not a hugely budgeted film, but its creature effects are used so effectively that they lap the work done on bigger budgeted films that aren't able to show restraint. Less is more here, and not only here, but in so many other horror movies. You can learn that lesson from the movies that do it right. You can learn it even more from the movies that do it wrong. Carrie Russell's a face that we don't see on the big screen very often, but she is more than capable of carrying this movie, and I think that she's underutilized as a film actor. Jesse Plemons has largely gained notoriety for his oddball roles, but his restraint in this role as the young but weary sheriff reminds us that he's also an incredibly strong, dramatic actor. Jeremy T. Thomas makes his feature debut as the troubled young boy Lucas, and I think that he's an actor to watch because this is not an easy role to play for any actor, let alone a child actor, but his performance lends the movie a heartbreak that if it were missing would make the film dramatically less effective. This is a haunted character with a lot of trauma in his rearview mirror, and he brings a lived-in quality to this character that only the best child actors are able to do. He may well be overlooked due to this being a horror film, Film, but I think that awards who recognize young actors should take notice of his work in this film, and I'll certainly be keeping my eye out to see what he does in the future. If I'm being totally honest, I think at the box office, Antlers probably won't move the needle that much, but I think it's going to be one of those cult hits that finds its audience, like 2015's Krampus or 2007's Trick or Treat. Hopefully, it will make enough for studios to remember that these kinds of films can be both critical and financial successes with a minimum of risk. Most big-budget studio horror films, in my opinion, aren't that great. It's the little ones like this that keep the genre alive, and I think the hardcore horror fans are going to be very pleased with this movie. So it's a recommendation for me on Antlers. I say get it on the ground floor because much like Cop Shop, another recent release, I think this is a movie that people are going to find on streaming services. And wouldn't it be great if you were the one telling your friends about this movie instead of the other way around? It is an effective horror thriller with a nice little mystery at the center. And even though it's a slow burn, it kept me engaged throughout and it made the third act worth the wait through the first two acts. And those are my thoughts on Antlers. If you're not already subscribed to the YouTube channel, I'd love for you to check me out at youtube.com slash Movies. And don't forget, if you're not subscribed also to this audio feed, to hit the subscribe button because not only will you get the audio versions of all the shows that I do over on YouTube, but there will also be exclusive audio stuff like this review for everybody listening. Thanks so much and stay tuned because my review for Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho is coming up next. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my review for Last Night in Soho, the latest film from Edgar Wright, who is one of my favorites, if not my favorite working director. I've got the Shaun of the Dead shirt on today. I've got, by the way, this is probably the most asked about thing over my shoulder here uh, on the set, this cricket bat, which is it's signed, if you can see, by Simon Pegg, because Shaun uses a cricket bat in Shaun of the Dead. I've been a big fan of Edgar Wright's work ever since I saw Shaun of the Dead back when it came out. This was when people asked me, 2021, what is your most anticipated? movie of the year for me it was last night in soho 
Edgar Wright directs, of course. He also shares screenplay credit with Christy Wilson Cairns, who is coming off an Oscar nomination for 1917. Last Night in Soho stars Thomason McKenzie, who plays Eloise, a young girl with the ability to see spirits, who moves to London to be a fashion student. Seeking escape from the dorm life, she rents a flat, but soon finds that she isn't the only resident. At night, she's transported into the life of Sandy, who's played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Sandy is another young woman with big dreams, who's living in 1960. London, and the two girls run on parallel tracks as we see the difficulties they both face, with Sandy's life eventually being run by Jack, played by Matt Smith, who looms menacingly over the entire movie. Sandy and Eloise's lives begin to merge, and Eloise finds herself at the center of a deadly mystery as she tries to convince everyone around her that she's not imagining her horrible visions. The cast also includes Terrence Stamp as a mysterious stranger, and Dame Diana Rigg, who sadly passed away last fall as Eloise's landlady who may hold clues to her flat's mysterious past. No male visitors after eight o'clock. That's a problem. And no using the laundry room at night. Edgar Wright is a director who has never been shy about the people who influence him and influence the movies that he makes. And Last Night in Soho is very reminiscent of a 1970s psychological thriller. There is a heavy dose of Brian De Palma. You also get some Dario Argento thrown in there. There's some Nicholas Rogue. There's a splash of Alfred Hitchcock as well. The movie actually reminded me quite a bit of uh, a film that I didn't see until this year. It was a movie that came out in 1978 called Eyes of Laura Mars, which was co-written by John Carpenter. It was directed by Irvin Kirshner, who did The Empire Strikes Back and many other films. Which is, It's a pretty nifty little thriller, by the way. It stars Faye Dunaway and Tommy Lee Jones, if you haven't seen it. But that 1970s vibe, that 1970s influence, is not just under the surface, it's on the surface. And like I said, Edgar Wright is not trying to hide the fact that he is walking in the footsteps of a lot of talented filmmakers while bringing his own unique talents to the kinds of films that they've made. Edgar Wright continues to grow as a filmmaker, and I would say that of all of his films, Last Night in Soho is the least like anything else that he's done before. We see a lot of different flavors from him. He dials down a lot of the things that he's done in so many other films, even ones as varied as Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and Baby Driver. He's also, of course, an incredibly talented filmmaker, and he is full of passion and creativity in a way that makes his movies leap off the screen. But I do think he gets a little lost in the 1970s influence influences in this film. This is a very tense story, but it's also one that I think goes on a little bit too long, particularly in the second act. Once we sort of establish what's going on, we keep jumping back and forth between these timelines long past the point where it's been established who the different characters are, what the dynamic is, and I think it's because Wright so loves that aesthetic. And it is a very lush feel. It's not like he's putting things on screen that are uninteresting. It's just that narratively, I think we reach a point where the second act of this movie drags on too long, so that by contrast, when we get to the third act and we get a little bit more conventional, it stands out just that much more from the rest of the film. However, there's a depth to the story here that keeps the film from capsizing in the middle, as it could have if it was more of a surface-level ghost story. And that's because we see this story almost exclusively through the points of view of the two female protagonists, which is something that we don't often see even in movies about 
women. Yes, this is a ghost story, but this is also a story about young women trying to navigate the dark, murky underside of London, where there are much scarier things lurking in the shadows than ghosts and goblins. This movie is about those things as well. It's about a city that chews up and spits out young girls on a nightly basis. And the merging of these two stories is really what keeps the interest flowing throughout the film, even as it wanders a little bit in the middle. It's actually somewhat of a coincidence that this is Edgar Wright's sixth narrative film. He also has done documentaries and shorts, but if we're talking narrative film, this is number six for him because it goes back to a parallel filmmaker, somebody that I know Edgar Wright is friends with and draws influences from and trusts his opinion on, Quentin Tarantino. When you go back to Tarantino's filmography, Death Proof, back in the times before Kill Bill was retroactively combined into one movie, Death Proof was Tarantino's sixth film. It was part of the Grindhouse double feature and then it was released on its own but I was always not a big fan of Death Proof because I, I shared some of the concerns that I have with Last Night in Soho. I felt that Death Proof got so wrapped up in what it was paying homage to that it forgot to be a movie in its own right. Now, I like Last Night in Soho uh, more than I liked Death Proof, but I think it shares a common quality in that we have a filmmaker here with Edgar Wright who's had uh, great past success, has earned the right really to do almost anything he pleases, but is still searching for the correct formula as a filmmaker to figure out what is the correct balance of paying homage to something or making something that kind of emulates another thing and something that can stand on its own too legs. Now it should be noted that in my opinion directly after Death Proof Quentin Tarantino started making some of, if not the best films in his career, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, The Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love all of those movies, and they were all born out of this period for Tarantino where he was perfecting that formula. So if Edgar Wright's career is going to follow the same trajectory, and he's about to enter a renaissance period as a filmmaker, if Last Night in Soho is the film where he's sort of wandering and trying to figure out the formula, then we're in pretty good shape as filmgoers because this is not a bad movie. This just isn't a great one. The one thing that is great about this movie is the look, the feel, the lushness of the different time periods. And of course, a lot of credit goes to Edgar Wright on that, but a lot of credit also goes to the cinematographer of the film, Chung Hoon Chung, who worked on several movies with Park Chan-wook. He also shot 2017's It. He gives us the visual cues to represent the duality of these two time periods, and yet also is able to tie them together into one unifying vision for the film. There's also a lot of cool wizardry where we're switching characters between Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas. McKenzie. My suspicion is that a lot of that was practical, that it was done in camera, which of course he would have had a lot to do with. This is one of the things that makes this movie so interesting to watch beyond just the story unfolding on screen. The performances are likewise solid, although I do think that Thomason McKenzie as the lead could have dialed back on the vulnerability just a little bit. Her character is very vulnerable, but I thought that that note was kind of overplayed from time to time in the film. This is apparently the last performance from Dame Diana Rigg, her final role. She lends the film an elegance that she brought to all of her roles, but also this sort of bemused mystery uh, that she has also been able to bring to a lot of her different characters. If you're going to go out I say go out on top and this is a great role to remember Dame Diana Riggs legacy I think that Terrence Stamp and Matt Smith kind of get the shorter ends of the stick particularly Matt Smith who is good in this role but it's also kind of a one note role and that's because you really have this great dual performance at the center of the film so much of the movie is given to them that there's not a whole lot else uh, for some of the other folks to do and particularly when you have an actor like Terrence Stamp I did get to the end of the movie you know while it is an 
important role. I, I felt like I wish he could have had a little bit more business, a little bit more to do. But, you know, that's just the nature of a movie like this. Who knows what was cut out? And when you have so many different characters and you're jumping between different timelines and different stories, some things are going to get shoved to the margins. And I think that Terrence Stamp and Matt Smith were those things in this film. Overall, I think that Last Night in Soho is an interesting addition to Edgar Wright's filmography, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that it is one of his best films. However, I would also note that I don't think of the six movies that Edgar Wright's made, any of his films have even approached being bad films. So coming in near the bottom of a filmography that is full of good films isn't such a bad thing, if you ask me. And I think most importantly, he's not regressing as a director. I don't really see any signs that he is phoning anything in or even trying to find a pattern for himself. He keeps trying to challenge himself with new genres, with new filmmaking techniques. Every Edgar Wright film is interesting in its own right, no pun intended. And this film is no different, although he has uh, experimented with the horror genre, Shaun of the Dead, even parts of Hot Fuzz uh, were, were very representative of what you'd see in a typical horror film. This is a horror mystery, and I like that this is a new flavor of stuff. Six films in uh, and 15 years into his feature filmmaking career, 15 plus years, Edgar Wright is still rethinking things and innovating and challenging himself. And that's what I like to see. Even if a movie doesn't succeed to great heights, I love love that he is still a director that's taking chances and saying, I'm going to do something that I've never done before because you can tell it's interesting for him as a filmmaker and it's certainly interesting for me as an audience member. I am an unapologetic Edgar Wright stan. I always have been and I probably will be for quite some time. So if I can go into a movie, especially a movie that's been delayed and delayed and delayed like Last Night in Soho and come out saying, you know what? That was an interesting film. I saw something new from one of my favorite directors, if not my favorite working director. I'm going to consider that a win. And I think for people that are fans of Edgar Wright's work, they may think the same as well. So that is a recommendation for me on Last Night in Soho. But what do you think? It's in theaters now, finally here uh, domestically. And I think it's also rolling out in a lot of markets around the world, including the UK. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. Also, if you want to see what else I'm up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dan Merle. But most importantly, Thank you for joining me here on the channel. I'll be back soon with more news, reviews, charts, you name it. I love talking about it. I love movies. Thanks for joining me on this one, and I'll see you next time. Bye.